Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Right now, you are about to hit the halfway point as we move on over to Revelation, the 10th chapter. The 10th chapter is quite amazing because we looked at the first six seals, and then we looked at the seventh seal in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. Then we looked at the first six trumpets in Revelation chapter 8 and chapter 9. Now we're at the seventh uh, trumpet judgment, and it's quite amazing because we have two chapters much of those chapters dedicated to that seventh trumpet. That means it's very significant. And I believe the seventh trumpet is a recapitulation of what we see under the sixth seal. Uh, because the seventh trumpet brings us again to the very end. When you look at what happens under the seventh trumpet, that's a description of the end. That's not a description of partway through the tribulation, halfway, three-quarters. That's a description of the very end. Just like the sixth seal, humanity can't go on after the sixth seal takes place. So what's interesting in Revelation chapter 10 is you have this amazing angel. And i got to pick up my pace a little bit with the chapters because it took us about a little bit, about half our time to go through the first nine chapters, but we're going to still get enough detail to get in this whole hour, 22 chapters in. So when you look at Revelation chapter 10, you have this incredibly mighty angel come and he puts one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, you know, and he's got this, this his head is surrounded by this, angel, by this uh, rainbow and his feet, it says, are pillars of fire. This is radical. It's like a picture of God taking dominion of the earth because he's announcing the seventh trumpet, which is when the Lord will begin his reign. And he has this little book, and there's seven thunders that utter the voices. John's told, don't write down what the seven thunders have uttered. And the apostle John is told, and this is very, very important. He says, in the voice of the seventh angel, when he begins to sound, so we're talking about the seventh trumpet, when he begins to blow his trumpet, the mystery of God, which is proclaimed to his servants, the prophets, will be finished. Now, this is important to understand, because remember the cry of the saints under the altar in Revelation chapter 5? How long, O God, until you avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? And then he gives them a picture of the end at the sixth seal. But then he wants them to see more detail that it's not just going to happen right after your prayer like that. He tells them, gives them white robes, he says, wait a little while. There's going to be other things that intervene before that very last, that sixth seal shows the very end. So what happens is when you get to the eighth uh, or the seventh seal in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, he opens up, he pops that last seal, the whole book opens up, and then you get the details, the details of what takes place after these saints have cried out to God, and guess what happens with their prayers? In Revelation chapter 8, it picks it up again, and it says that their prayers, these the prayers of the saints are added to the other prayers, and those are the prayers that we've been praying for years, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You see, you are actually active in bringing the revelation to pass because you're crying out to the Lord God to bring his kingdom. Well, these prayers are added to the prayers that have been prayed for the last thousands of years, right? And they're added. And when they're added, he fills up his censer and he throws these things to the earth. And then guess what you have? You have these trumpet judgments. And he's showing how after these prayers have been added to the prayers of the saints already, then you have these trumpet judgments, which lead up to the seventh trump, which was the end, which shows you what happens between those prayers and the final judgment, which is the seventh trumpet, which correlates with what happened under the sixth seal when they got the preview. So what happens, he says to them, he says, there'll be delay no longer. Meaning delay for what? For God to bring his ultimate judgment. When the seventh trumpet goes, takes off, they'll have that final judgment that'll take place. 
And that's quite interesting, quite amazing, because if you went to the seventh trumpet and you saw a plague of grasshoppers or you saw, you know, something just weak compared to what's going to ultimately happen by way of comparison, you say, well, that's how is that? There's delay no longer. But what you do see at the seventh trumpet, you see the very end. And remember, he says that this will be delayed no longer. The mystery of God, which he declared to his servants, the prophets, will be finished. What's the mystery of God that he was declaring to his servants, the prophets? Go throughout the New Testament over and over again. We're called the Church of the Mystery. Paul talks about the mystery over and over again. And the main mystery Paul talks about is how Gentile believers, those from among the Gentiles, have been gathered in and made part of one body with the Jews, and we make up the body of Christ. And when this mystery is finished, then the end will come. Jesus said to his apostles, go into all the world in light of the end. What will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? Go and preach the gospel to all the nations. And he says, when you preach the gospel to every nation, he says, then the end will come. Well, guess what? The mystery is ready to be finished because it has to do with the last people being saved, the last Gentile believers. Or as John says, or I should say Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about, you know, God is not slack concerning his judgment, but he's long-suffering toward you, not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. That's the gospel. Then Peter says, hasten the coming of the day of God. I Meaning, get off your rear and go preach the gospel. And guess what happens? Then he talks about this fiery judgment, Peter, when the Lord comes like a thief in the night, not before the tribulation, but a meltdown when he comes like a thief at the end of time. Now, what's interesting as well is Paul said, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then the deliverer will come from Zion. That's when Jesus Christ comes back. So the mystery being finished is when the last Gentiles have been saved and then guess what? Then the end comes. When you go to Revelation chapter 11, the very next chapter, verse 15 says the seventh angel sounded. There it is. There's the seventh trumpet. What's going to happen? Well, according to Paul, that's the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, right? According to Paul in Revelation chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all, all the believers, be changed in a moment that twinkle of the eye at the last trumpet. We know that's not before the tribulation because he goes on to say death this will take place when death is swallowed in victory. Go back to where he quotes that from. It's Isaiah chapter fifty, uh, chapter 25, verse 8. And it has to do with the mini apocalypse that Isaiah goes through. And that's the end of the tribulation period. That's what Paul's quoting right there. Well, guess what? The seventh angel sounds. Revelation chapter 11, the seventh trumpet. Guess what happens? It says the kingdom of, the kingdom of this world, which the Antichrist is reigning, becomes the kingdom of Christ. He just establishes reign. And it says, and he begun to reign. That's heavy. And his wrath has come. And it was time to destroy those who were destroying the earth. And guess what else it says? It's time to reward the saints, those who fear his name, the small and the great, the prophets and so forth. Well, when does he come to reward the saints? Guess when? Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22, I think verse 12 at the very end, behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. That is coming. He comes right there. In fact, it says he was and is right there as well at the seventh trumpet. Not he was and is and is to come because he's just came right there. So you have the second coming of Christ, the end of the cause, the end of the age, I should say, in at the end of the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm sorry, the end of Revelation 11, 11 with the seventh trumpet. Then you go to Revelation chapter 12, and I do have to pick it up. So in <laughs> Revelation chapter 12, you have this amazing chapter where this woman who's clothed the sun and the moon and, and, and 12 stars, which is a radical, clear picture of Israel. I've gone verse by verse in detail through every verse of the book of Revelation. We're in our second time going through it as a, as a church. We're in Revelation. We're going to start Revelation chapter 21 uh, pretty soon. But it's interesting when you study that, you see in Genesis, that is a picture of Israel. That's a picture of the 12 tribes of Israel in the dream that Joseph got. And guess what? The dragon is angry with her. He hates her. And she has an offspring, the man-child, and he tries to destroy the dragon, which it defines as Satan, the serpent of old, in that same chapter. Tries to destroy that man-child. That's Jesus. He ascends to the Father. Remember, he tried to kill, used Herod to try to kill Jesus. And Jesus ascends to the Father eventually. Uh, he can't get Jesus. He can't stop Jesus. Uh, then he goes after the woman. That's Israel. 
She goes in the wilderness and God protects Israel for 1,260 days. I should say the remnant of Israel. 1,260 days, that's three and a half years. That's the great tribulation period because Satan at that point has been cast down. Now he's been cast down as far as his home is in heaven. He goes throughout the earth to and fro as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but he has access to the heavenly council. He's part of that heavenly council. But he now longer at this point has access to accuse us day and night before God. So it says rejoice heavens because he's been cast down to the earth. But it says woe to the earth because the devil comes, has come down to you having great wrath right? So he comes and he goes after the woman, but God protects her and feeds her for 1,260 days and protects her there in the wilderness as he prepares her for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the end of Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, it says that the dragon goes to make war with her offspring. And who are they? Those are they, he says, that keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of the Lord Jesus or of Jesus. And they're, they're Christians, the followers of the Lord. We are joint heirs with the Jews. We are children of Abraham. It says in chapter Galatians chapter 3, through faith, Gentile believers are part of the body of Christ. And he goes to make war. And then when you go right to chapter 13, you see he's going to make war against the saints. In chapter 13, you see this beast with seven heads and ten horns coming out of the sea. talks about uh, how he will rule for 42 months. That's the 1260 days in chapter 12. That's three and a half years. Uh, he will wage war against the saints. He'll blaspheme God, verses 5 and 6. He'll wage war against the saints and overcome them, verse 7. But he won't prevail against the church. They'll still be there. Many will be killed, but many will also be imprisoned. It says in chapter uh, ten or chapter thirteen, around verse nine, that those who are to uh, be killed with the sword will be killed with the sword. Those who are to go into captivity will go into captivity. Then in chapter thirteen, verse ten, he gives us a strong warning, a very important warning, that this calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints and those who uh, are faithful to Jesus. And it's very, very important because when believers are being killed during the tribulation period. Uh, there's going to be the temptation to recant their faith. And we must remain faithful to Jesus at that time. Then it goes on to talk about how in Revelation chapter 13, that there'll be another beast who's also called later the false prophet later on in the book of Revelation. And he does these miracles to get people to worship the beast, which is the Antichrist. And he makes an image of that beast and so forth. And people worship him. And the scriptures tell us that this false prophet in conjunction with the Antichrist will cause people the small and great, Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free and the slaves, to be given a mark on the right hand or the forehead that no one can buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast, which is either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And the number of his name, he says, is 666. And we don't have time to get into all that, but go look at the tapes because we've got an incredible depth in all these verses. Uh, so the mark of the Antichrist comes out. And then in chapter 14, this is addressed because in chapter 14, uh, you have the 144,000 mentioned again. They're standing before the throne. So they are those who are standing uh, from the wrath of, and uh, uh, didn't partake of the wrath of God, which is very interesting. You have these three angels that fly through the mid heavens. And with these angels that fly through the mid heavens, one says Babylon is falling. He's, pro he's proclaiming the fact that Babylon is fallen. It's to be destroyed. And then the next one preaches the everlasting gospel. And that's awesome because guess what? It's going to be hard to preach the gospel. During the tribulation period, though, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will give us utterance. We're taken before civil leaders and kings. So it's going to be radical witness opportunities. But God's going to make sure that the word of God is heard. The gospel is actually preached by this angel who preaches the everlasting gospel, which is magnificent. By the way, something I skipped over in Revelation chapter 11 when I talked about the seventh trumpet. Right before that, it talks about these two witnesses, right, who also share, and they have power over all the different plagues to bring upon the earth and so forth, they will also uh, be preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they'll, God won't let them be killed for 42 months till the end of their testimony. Then they'll be killed by the Antichrist. Well, these angels won't be stopped at all, period. And one will be preaching the everlasting gospel. The third one, uh, he proclaims judgment on the beast worshipers. For everyone who has taken the mark of the beast, 
He says, there'll be torment, and this torment, Chad, he says, will be day and night forever and ever, and they'll have no rest day and night. Horrifying. And then in chapter 14, verse 12, he calls us to perseverance again as saints. He says, this calls for faithful endurance on the part of God's holy people. He says, who hold to the testimony of Jesus, okay, and keep God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So we need to make sure we hold on to the faith and what, because why? Chapter 13, you better hold on to the faith because guess what? Many believers are going to be killed at that time. Don't give in because uh, you need to persevere in your faith. Chapter 14, don't take the mark of the beast because if you do, you need to persevere in your faith and not do that because you'll be tormented forever and ever. Make sure you say, God, help me endure. Cry out to be to persevere at that time and put it in your heart to say, humble yourself before the Lord and say, by your grace and rely upon his grace. And in chapter 14, he goes on to say, henceforth, uh, blesses everyone who dies uh, in the Lord from that time forward. You're dying. You're actually having victory, which we'll see in the next chapter. But before I get to chapter 15, it's quite amazing because at the end of chapter 14, you have the resurrection of the damned. And I should say you have the harvest of the righteous, the believers, and you have the harvest of the damned. You have the rapture and you have the damnation of the wicked. Pictures of both being shown again. Like I said, a much of Revelation, snapshots, pictures of the very end. And what happens is you have the wheat you have the Son of Man coming, one like the Son of Man in a cloud, right? He's got a sharp sickle. He swings a sickle, and the earth is harvest of his wheat. That's believers being raptured. Right after that, because at the very end, we'll be raptured. We caught up to meet the Lord in the air. He will descend, and the very next harvest is the harvest of the damned. And then you have a sickle again, and then you have the grapes of God's wrath, uh, the God's wrath poured out upon the wicked, and they're crushed like grapes, and his wine press the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, it says. At, um, picture, there's Armageddon right there. The blood comes up to the horse's bridles. That's how much blood there will be. It's going to be quite amazing. Then you get into chapter 15. You have just an incredible uh, picture of, of, the, of the sea of glass, the crystal sea. You have the saints at the crystal sea praising and worshiping God. These are those who were persecuted, but... They did not give in to the Antichrist. They did not take the mark of the beast. And it, scriptures say these are those who got victory over the beast. And that's what you need to keep in mind and understand. We do win here. We don't win by taking the kingdom. Jesus is the Savior who brings the kingdom in at the end. But we win by giving our lives for the faith, by enduring to the end, by holding to Jesus and being a testimony for him and his great goodness, being cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, holding our faith to the end. It says he saw those who got victory over the beast and they're standing on the sea of glass. It's like the Red Sea. They sang the song of Moses after they were delivered from Pharaoh. Well, one greater than Pharaoh will be here. That's the Antichrist. We'll be delivered from him and we won't just sing the song of Moses. It says they sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb and we see them proclaiming, righteous and true are thy judgments, O God. So what is happening is the book of Revelation to me is the most amazing commentary on theodicy. It's the most perfect and blessed and beautiful work on a, an, on a defense of the righteousness of God because over and over and over again, you see in the courtroom of heaven, you see what's going on, on earth, you see the proclamation of God's righteousness, of his judgments being true, of him being faithful, and you see the enemy is the accuser, he's the liar, he loses in the end. That's the ultimate book of theodicy. And in chapter 15, he talks about the seven last plagues, which are the bold judgments or the vile judgments. And they it introduces chapter 16, when the seven last plagues are poured out. So this is, try to get your brain around this. You have the first five seals that take place, and then the sixth seal shows you the very end. After the prayers of the fifth seal, what really takes place is you jump to Revelation 8, and you see the trumpet judgments go, and they, so the trumpet judgments actually start after the fifth seal is open as far as chronologically taking place. And then when the sixth seal takes place, it coincides with the, the seventh bowl, a seventh trumpet, I'm sorry. They're, they're the same. You read sixth six seal and the seventh trumpet, they describe the same end time judgment. Okay. So what it would look like if you were to diagram it, you'd have five trumpets, I'm say five seals. Then you'd have uh, 
the six trumpets, and then you'd have the seventh trumpet and the seventh or the sixth seal take place at the same time. Well, what would take place after the sixth trumpet between the sixth and the seventh trumpet? Well, guess what? The wrath of God, the final wrath of God is poured out in these bowl judgments. So between the sixth judgment, trumpet judgment, and the seventh trumpet judgment, we'd have these last plagues that lead up to the seventh trumpet, sixth seal, and the seventh bowl, which all three describe the same event. You just have to read all three of them. You'll see we're talking about the same event there. I know I'm going really fast, so I can't get into this to help you understand <laughs> that, but I've gotten into more depth, which is a lot easier to understand because oh, I've gone at a slower pace. So then you have these seven judgments, uh, uh, and I'm going to have to race through them. And they're, by the way, staccato. They just take place, boom, 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 real quick, because the last of the plagues of God. And the first one is a grievous, ugly sore of, uh, takes place on those who take the mark of the beast. And by the way, keep in mind, this judgment, we're not a point of wrath. So those of us who are alive during the tribulation period, like the land in Goshen, where God protected his own people in Israel, the Hebrews, from the plagues that were coming, the 10 plagues that were coming upon the Jews, especially because they were the last plague, the 10th one, covered by the blood of the Lamb. In the, in the form of a cross on the, in the Passover, like the Tav, will be spared from that wrath. So that wrath comes upon those who take the mark of the beast on the right hand of their forehead. Uh, that's the first uh, bold judgment that's poured out and a grievous sore appears. Uh, the second uh, bold judgment, you have, uh, you have more judgment, you have more uh, pain, you have, uh, actually you have, uh, it's poured out on the sea and everything I believe that's the sea right there, and everything dies in the sea. So it's worse than a third of the sea dying, because now it's intensified, and it's not a warning anymore. A third of the sea is actually actually dies. And then uh, the next judgment, you have uh, even more death, and you have uh, the, the third bold judgment, the fourth bold judgment, the fifth bold judgment, because I have to keep going. But you have radical things going on, because I'm not going to get chapter 22 and get this done in time if I don't speed up. But you have uh, a bowl poured out of the sun, intense heat. They're cursing God because the heat's been intensified. You have the king, the, the, the beast kingdom becoming dark in the fifth, fifth bowl judgment, and they're, they're blaspheming God because of their sores, because of the great darkness, probably a darkness that can be felt like in the book of Exodus. So you have these, these, these five bowl judgments, and the sixth bowl judgment brings you to around chapter 6. Uh, 13, 14, 15, in that, those areas, we have the bowl poured on the Euphrates, which drives up the Euphrates, which allows the kings of the earth to march to Armageddon. And then we have the setup for Armageddon uh, with the sixth bowl judgment. And with the march to Armageddon, uh, you have demons, one un, like foul spirits, it says, like frogs that come out of the mouth of the beast and the false prophet and out of the dragon, which is the devil. And they go forth to the kings of the earth to gather to the battle of the great day of God Almighty, which in the Hebrew tongue is called Armageddon. And so it's a setup for Armageddon where they're going to fight against Christ at the second coming in the Valley of Megiddo. And also we find out later or elsewhere, Jehoshaphat. And guess what happens? We're warned right there in Revelation chapter 16, verse 15, a parenthetical statement between some of the verses I just quoted to you. It says, blessed or behold, I come like a thief. You know, blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, you know, so he doesn't walk naked uh, and, and, and men don't see his shame. By the way, the thief judgment, when Christ comes like a thief, that's not before the tribulation. That's an Armageddon, folks. That's what the church has always believed. And we need to be ready. and We need to keep our garments. We need to continue to keep our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the seventh bowl uh, judgment is poured out. And you see, again, guess what? This great earthquake. Every island and, and every mountain is moved out of its place again, just like under the sixth seal. This great earthquake and stars falling from heaven. This time it's Define more as hailstones, where in 100 pounds each, you have the same judgment. It brings you to the very end, which is, it coincides with the second coming of Christ. Then in chapter 17 and chapter 18, guess what you have? You have two chapters, most of which are de devoted together to the description of the destruction of Babylon, which was just described as taking place underneath the seventh bowl of judgment. So now when you get to Revelation 17 and you get to Revelation chapter 18, uh, you it talks about the great whore of Babylon, 
the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth, who is responsible for the, uh, killing the saints and spreading her blood all over the place. She holds up a golden cup full of her abominations and her filth, and she's wicked. And guess what? She has a relationship with the beast empire, but they're not in cahoots as far as loving each other. It's like this relationship where she rides the beast, but the beast hates her because she controls and manipulates the beast until the beast is strong enough to actually destroy her and doesn't need her anymore. But this whore, which represents, I believe, personally, false religious systems. Also, chapter 18 is very clear. It's a commercial system as well. Well, she's riding the beast, and uh, he hates her. And who is this system that rides the beast empire? We know the beast, according to Revelation chapter 13, backing up a little bit, looks like a leopard, has feet like a bear, and has a head like a lion. This represents, when you go to Daniel, Babylon, the head of the lion, the, 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 the leopard represents the Grecian empire, which had its zenith of power through uh, Antiochus Epiphanes as it related to Israel, who is a picture of the Antichrist. We're talking about through Syria. And then you have, of course, uh, Medo-Persia, which is depicted by the bear in Daniel. Uh, so you have Iran. Ten Iraq, minutes left. Ten minutes left. Ten minutes. <laughs> you have Iran. You have Iraq. And you have, uh, you have uh, Syria, which, by the way, it's interesting to see their connection together right now. Uh, right now, as we speak, and they're wanting to destroy Israel. Well, who is it that rides over that? Who is it that manipulates and seeks to have power over the Middle East more than anybody else? Ah, it's this country, the United States of America. Who is it that if uh, they were destroyed, uh, New York and so forth, and our country as a whole, would the nations, or I should say the merchants of the earth, weep because nobody buys their goods anymore? If one, if one people group was destroyed in the end, we're talking about not right now, the end of the tribulation period, who would lament the most or what country would they lament over the most? Ah, it'd be the United States. It says that this whore Babylon commits fornication with the kings of the earth. Who are, what, what nation commits fornication with the kings of the earth more than any other? It says that she pollutes the world. What nation pollutes the world more than any other nation with their entertainment and everything else in their own morality? It looks like us right now. Now I'm not saying, I mean, time can go on and they can shift to somebody else. But right now, I mean, we're, we're a nation that has spilled the blood of 60 million little babies. We are not a Christian nation by any stretch of the imagination. We're a nation that's an apostasy. Uh, although, you know, I look and say, okay, Lord, show, up, show us if it's somebody else. But right now we fit the bill more than anybody else to be Babylon because we're riding on them. And eventually the beast will hate the woman and destroy the woman with fire. We've already seen Muslims seek to destroy our nation with fire before. Uh, and we'll see where all this goes. But we don't have time to get into the identity of the beast and the uh, uh, false prophet and uh, the whore Babylon in too much depth. In chapter 17, he talks about the, the beast has seven heads and ten horns. He says five have been. That's five empires that have gone before, like Babylon and Persia and Egypt and Greece and so forth. And he says one is. Which one is? When, when John's writing, that's the Roman Empire. And one is yet to come. That's the seventh one. So the seven heads, one is yet to come. That's that final empire. But he says out of the seventh comes an eighth, and that's the Antichrist. And guess what? There's also ten horns. And he says these are ten kings that give their power to the beast for one hour. And they, with the beast, will fight against Christ at his second coming. So those ten horns represent ten nations that give their power, ten kings that give their power to the Antichrist. And in Revelation 17, toward the end, they seek to fight Christ at his second coming. Christ comes, he's called Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings there. He's called King of Kings and Lord of Lords later. And when he comes back, he comes with those who are the chosen, or I should say the called, the chosen, and the faithful. Okay? Because we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. And who's going to come back with him? The armies of heaven, those who've gone before us. And the living saints will be caught up and changed and we'll meet them in the air and they will be the called. The Bible says, make your calling and election sure. They'll be the elect, the chosen, and they'll be the faithful. How do you make your call election sure? You remain faithful to the end. So then we go to Revelation chapter 18. <laughs> Since I know I've only got five or six minutes left, uh, in Revelation chapter 18, you have more description of 
commercial Babylon. And God says, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. Okay, we're not a point of wrath if we're walking with Jesus. If we're trusting in the blood of Christ, if we're following him. But he says, come out of her, which shows you all the way to the end of the tribulation almost, uh, right before the very final uh, judgments. Uh, the saints or some saints are still in Babylon, but they need to make sure they don't take follow the pressure and say, okay, you've been found, you need to take the mark of the beast or because you'll partake of her, her plagues as well. And then Babylon's destroyed in Revelation chapter 19. There's shouts of joy, a great multitude rejoicing that Babylon's been destroyed and then his bride has made herself ready and there's rejoicing because the bride's been made ready. What, what do you mean? According to the pre-tribs, the bride's not even there on the earth. Well, guess what? She's made ready. She obviously wasn't being made ready in heaven having some party for seven years. She's been made ready because she's come out of Babylon. She's endured the tribulation period and she's made ready and it's given to be, her to be clothed in fine linen, bright and, and clean, which is the righteous acts of the saints because there's righteous acts that she's been doing through the tribulation period. And guess what? She's ready for what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Guess what? The Lamb is coming. The Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom. Revelation 19, uh, 11 through 21. I wish we had time to describe it, but he comes uh, on his white horse and, they, and the armies of heaven follow him. We're caught up to meet him in the air. The bride, the bride that's with him and the bride that's still to be caught up Meet him in the air because there's saints that have died already. Uh, and then we come back and with the, the beast is, is defeated, the Antichrist, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they're thrown alive in the lake of fire. And their armies are destroyed. And the birds of the air are called to feast on their dead bodies, uh, which is quite amazing. They eat first at the wedding supper, guys. And then we have the great millennial period in Revelation chapter 20, which is the wedding supper. It's going to be incredibly beautiful. In fact, the wedding supper is depicted elsewhere in Scripture as being on the earth. Satan's bound for a thousand years. Uh, those who... Uh, are, we're resurrected. We reign with Christ. Those who didn't take the mark of the beast are resurrected. They're actually highlighted right there. And this is the first resurrection, it says. Blessed and holy are those who partake in the first resurrection. For over them, it says, the second death will have no power. So what's the first resurrection? When Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain or survive will be caught to meet them in the air and we'll reign with them for a thousand years. Say we bound. And by the way, that first resurrection at the end of the tribulation. Five minutes. Okay. If there was a resurrection prior to that time, a thousand years or uh, before the tribulation, this would be the second resurrection of believers, but it's not. It's the first because there was no pre-trib rapture. You can't find it anywhere in Revelation. You can't find it anywhere in Scripture. By the way, there, there's the reign that takes place for a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, Satan's let loose for a short time. Gog and Magog, he growls against, uh, against Jerusalem. God rains fire upon them. Then you have the great white throne judgment. Uh, at the end of Revelation chapter uh, 20, verse 11 through 15, if your name is not found written in the last book of life, those who've been resurrected for that, which is the second resurrection, are thrown in the live lake of fire. Then you go to Revelation chapter 21. And in Revelation chapter 1, you have the reverse of the curse. You have the thorns and thistles that came up in the Garden of Eden. Jesus wore those. So we could have a place and be in a place where there's no more curse because he became a curse for us. And everything you read about in the early part of Genesis, no more tree of access, tree of life. There's death. There's, there's sin. Uh, there's mourning. There's crying. There's pain. It says there's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more crying. There's no more curse. And we're no longer separated from God, but he makes his tabernacle with us. And in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 2 show the beauty of the new Jerusalem, which is prepared like a bride for her husband. And that's the awesome beauty of the Revelation. It's the Odyssey. Is it shows that this isn't the best world, but it shows that this is the best world and that we're being tested and tried right now to get us to the best world, which is the new heaven and the new earth. And that's what's going on right now. And that's the perfect answer for suffering that God himself answered into our and entered into our suffering. And there's this beautiful description. And by the way, we're going back to, we're going to be going through Revelation 21 and chapter 22 on Sundays in depth. So you can pick up in depth in those studies. Blessed Hope Chapel. Uh, Blessed Hope Chapel. 
But uh, and because we've already covered almost all of chapter 20, and I want to encourage you because Jesus says in Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter, I testify these things to the churches. And again, we're also promised that you're that you're blessed if you keep the things that are written in the book. Why is it addressed to the churches, and why is, are the churches blessed if they keep them? If they're not there, it makes no sense at all. Satan wants to rob you of God's truth, and guess what? That's why there's a warning at the end of the book of Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, not to add or take away from that book. If you take away from that book, your part will be taken out of the tree of life and those things written in the holy city and so forth. But there's a beautiful commission that we're given. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Blessed, uh, well, it's, it's a beautiful, it says, the spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, and the bride, meaning the church. It's the spirit and the bride working together. Say, come. Let him that hears say, come. Let him that is thirsty come and drink of the water freely or without cost. Jesus invites you to partake of the tree of life because in Revelation chapter 22 Verses 14 and 15, it says, those who get entrance into this, this, this incredible new Jerusalem, which comes from heaven to earth, are those who've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, but outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the liars and, and the murderers and those who practice magical arts and so forth. We want you to be there. We, we cry out to you with the, with the Spirit of God. We say, come and drink of the water of life freely. Accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. He paid for your sins so you don't partake of the wrath of God now or forever. We want you to have eternal life. Turn to Jesus while you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Even so, amen. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.